Well, again, I want to say uh, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all your all, all your mothers. And uh, again, I hope I'm not the first one to say it, but if I am, um, you can uh, get me something for my birthday because that's how it works, right? Uh, anyway, let me make sure I'm good. Yeah, I'm on. Um, you know, one thing that is always true about moms, uh, most of them, is uh, how encouraging that they can be. They can be. Uh, I don't know if your mom was encouraging or not, but uh, man, all of the, the mother influences in my life have, have always been encouraging. A couple weeks ago on Easter, we started our series called The Elephant in the Room, and uh, a part of that was we asked questions about uh, what is it that you want us as a church to answer. And so we got questions kind of all across the board. Hey, here's a heads up for next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the topic that we got the most questions about, and that is, how does your church feel about the LGBTQ community? And so, be here for that. Uh, Bring your friends who have those questions, who have asked those questions, because next week, we're going to do our best to talk about them. And so, what came in kind of second to that was questions about baptism. Oh, a lot of them, I would assume, came from, uh, came from people from the church or Christians, and they were phrased as something like, uh, why do we as a church put so much emphasis on baptism? We'll get to that point. Uh, what does it mean to get baptized? Can I get baptized again? And then some of those questions didn't come from online, but some of them come from you just in regular conversation. I just thought about my mom as I was uh, getting ready for this, and the question that would come up from mom, I always have these ambitions. Uh, I I like to do a lot of things. You've heard the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, uh, hardly a jack of all trades. I'm definitely a master of none. Um, But uh, whenever I would come up with this new idea that I wanted to do, all the, all the motherly figures in my life would always ask this kind of question, and the question is, what's stopping you? What are the obstacles in your way? What's stopping you? Now, when I ask you the question of what's stopping you, uh, what comes to your mind? Is it the sink at home that's been leaking for six months that you still haven't fixed, um, even though you've been in your house for six years, and you're like, day one, I'm going to fix it? Fix it already. What's stopping you? Or, or maybe it's an item on your bucket list, a dream that you've always had to do. Um, some, some of those bucket lists are significant, some aren't, but what's stopping you from accomplishing them? I learned a, of a study a few years ago about people who had a heart bypass surgery. 600,000 people a year, 600,000 people a year in the United States have heart bypass surgery. And after their surgery, what happens every time is the doctor will sit down with them and say, look, this is only a temporary fix. It's only going to last for a while, but you have got to make some changes. And unless you make these changes, you're just going to find yourself back here in the same situation. So you've got to change the way that you eat. You've got to change your exercise habits. You've got to quit smoking. You've got to quit drinking. If you've ever had heart bypass surgery, you know. And they just go through this list of changes that you need to make. And without, almost without exception, every person would say in this study, they would say, I'm in. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the changes. I'm going to turn my life around. This has been a wake-up call for me, they say. I'm going to start to do things differently. And here's the part. 
they have what's called conviction. I know that I need it. Conviction. I know that I need it. But the question is, and that what we have to ask ourselves in almost every aspect of life, but definitely in our faith, is will conviction in your life lead to action? According to the study, two years later, when the people who had heart heart, uh, bypass surgery were interviewed, would you be surprised that there were almost no changes at all, maybe even very little. Interesting enough, in this study, they were still planning on making the changes. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to quit smoking when things calm down for me. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, I'm going to start eating healthy on Monday. Well, we've all said that even if we haven't had heart bypass surgery. 90, more than 90% of the people who took this survey two years later still hadn't done anything differently. They, had, they still had the conviction and they still had the intention. They just hadn't taken any action. And this is where you and I tend to live. We tend to live somewhere between conviction and action. But, you know, if we really have conviction about something, it every time will call us to action. Every time we have conviction in our hearts, it's inviting us to take some kind of action in our life. But too often times we live in the space in between. Let let me put it this way. Procrastination is the space between conviction and action. So we have this conviction in our heart, but the question is, will it lead to action in our lives? And so the question we are asking this, or asking this morning is, what is stopping you? So many different applications that we could drive this question to. Um, Some of you have kicked around joining a a life group or leading a life group. What's stopping you? Some of you have talked about uh, volunteering with the uh, with the village. What's what's stopping you? Some of you have um, even what we're going to talk about today. Talked about giving your life to Jesus and being baptized. What's stopping you? So if you've got your Bible, uh, why don't you go ahead and open to Acts chapter eight. Um, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the Restore Church app this morning. Um, And I even think we put the slides up on the screen uh, for you. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to give you the context while you're trying to find it, uh, while your thumbs are flying, whether you're turning pages or punching your screen. Here's the context of Acts chapter 8. The church has gotten off to a wild, crazy start. And the episode that we're we're in, uh, man, is one of diversity, ethnic diversity, but it's also one of beauty. Philip, he's a Christian, and he's one of the seven men that they chose in Acts chapter 6 to carry out the ministry of the church. And God gives, um, God gives Philip this special task. He says, go south on the road out of town, which leads past Gaza on your way to Africa, which to Philip is probably the ends of the world. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit sends Philip specifically to speak with an Ethiopian eunuch who had been uh, worshiping God. Check this out, worshiping God in Jerusalem. The idea of an Ethiopian worshiping the God of the Jewish people is unheard of. I mean, lots of people in the ancient world would have come from these polytheistic backgrounds, meaning they worship many gods. Think about the Greek gods or the Roman gods. Um, 
Think about how many lists that, that they have. Maybe in school you studied them. Hey, if, if you need a Bible, we got a volunteer in the back. <coughs> Here's a note. Before you go to preach, don't eat a Nutri-Grain bar. <coughs> All right. Uh, sorry. Uh, if you need a Bible, we've got someone in the back who, who's going to pass them out to you. Uh, I, I want to get through the context of, of this quickly so that we can get actually to, to the study of, of the Scripture. Um, for an Ethiopian eunuch to be worshiping a god of Israel is, is unheard of. Uh, again, the world, ancient world, it, it was more common to have multi-gods than it was to have one god. It was more common to be polytheistic than it was to be monotheistic. But all the time in Scripture, we read of people who come to faith of this one god of Israel, the creator god, the true god, and so people from all kinds of cultures become converts to Judaism, and then they make pilgrimages to Jerusalem to be the temple. But this guy was a eunuch. Now, we, we've got to talk about this for a minute, so fellas, don't squirm too much in your chair. He worked for the queen of Ethiopia, and with that job title on that job description meant you became a eunuch. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's Mother's Day. Ask your mom. She'll let you know. Don't Google it. I guess you could. So it would have been unheard of, again, for in Jerusalem, for a eunuch to try to worship God. He would have walked on the scene and immediately been considered second class and unworthy, which is not common for this guy who's working for the queen. He would have been an object of ridicule. He would have absolutely never been allowed anywhere close to the temple. Now imagine the dedication of a man who's willing to travel for weeks, hundreds of miles, to worship near the sacred temple, knowing that he actually wouldn't be allowed in. I'm really into the NBA playoffs and the, the Raptors were in the Eastern Conference. Thank you, Eric. He's not just a drummer, y'all. He is a hydration specialist. Thanks, Eric. Um, uh, oh, yeah, NBA playoffs and uh, watching the, the Toronto Raptors play. Now, if you don't know, Toronto is in Canada. They're, they, their t-shirts say up north. It's pretty cool. But they were playing against the 76ers in Philly, and the the, the, um, the game is in Philly, so all, all of the, the screen, you know, like you're watching it in Philly. But then they would cut to people outside of the stadium in Toronto. And there are like millions of people watching the game on screens that they can't even see. It's like crazy. Why would you go to the stadium if you know you can't get in? The Ethiopian eunuch, why would he come to the temple to worship God even though he knows he can't get in? Imagine that kind of dedication. He could present a, an offering... He could read the Torah, which is the first five books of our Old Testament, but he could never actually participate in the worship services. It would be like you would have to stand outside in the parking lot of Clyde Irwin. We would bring a box, you would put some money in it, and then we would give you a Bible to read it, but you couldn't come in. Yet for this Ethiopian eunuch, there's something that his soul is longing for, and it's God. And that longing is about to come to fulfillment. And so if you're in Acts chapter 8, this is where we are. The Ethiopian eunuch has opened up his copy of Isaiah, which would have been extremely expensive. 
Uh, and he starts to read. Verse 30, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a, uh, like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent... So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken up from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself? Or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Maybe another translation you might be reading. uh, He says, What prevents me from being baptized? He asked the question for himself. Sorry, y'all. This is all my fault. Uh, He asked the question for himself. What's stopping me? He knew something. Like, this guy knows everything about worship barriers. He was never allowed to be. He knew he would never allowed to be. He was ridiculed, probably made fun of for his position. He knows exactly what it's like to want to know God, but he's ever he was never really able to approach him in the in the setting of the temple. But now in Christ, Philip has introduced this guy to the good news. And anyone who wants to be made right with God, even this morning, can do, th- can do so through Jesus. So what's stopping him? For the first time in this Ethiopian's spiritual journey, there is nothing stopping him. Listen, I don't know everything that Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch that day, but I'm nearly certain about this much. Baptism was a part of the good news about Jesus because he shared it with him. How do I know? Because look again at, uh, look at verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and Philip baptized him immediately. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. What's stopping you? Specifically this question. You need to ask this question. What is stopping me? If you have a conviction in your heart, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you're ready to be made right with God, then what is stopping you from being baptized? And that's the question that we're going to dive into a little bit more as we go in. Let's, let's, as a church, start talking about baptism. I mean, we as a church, uh, so we started on March 17th, or March 19th, 2017. Uh, there's been 52 people who have been baptized here at Restore Church. Maybe you are one of them. Maybe your family is a part of that. Um, but, you know, I was kind of cut to the heart when we got all these questions about baptism. I'm like, I can't believe we're two years in and haven't talked about it from the stage. So here's what we need to do as a couple of ground rules first. Ground rule number one, we need to put away any presuppositions that uh, that we might have when it comes to baptism. Because here at Restore Church, we don't belong to a denomination, okay? What we set out from the very beginning is we want to be a church that lives as closely to the New Testament as we possibly can. We want to look like that church. 
And so we always ask the question. If you come to me and ask me a question, a lot of times I'll turn back and say, well, what does the Bible say? Because that's what we want to do. And so if we can all agree that there's no, there's no creed but Christ and we will only rely on Scripture, then that means a couple other things. That means the Bible's the authority, not the denomination that you came from. Not your grandmother. Hey, your grandmother's sweet. It's, it's uh, Mother's Day, so forgive me, but uh, it's not about what grandma said. It's not what, about what the priest says. What it, what it does say is it's about what God says. And I would ask you to go back and read Scripture and challenge everything that I preached to you this morning and see what the Bible says. Secondly, you need to know this and you need to hear this. We do not believe that water saves you. Okay? Water does not save you. Uh, we just kind of, for the theolo theological nuts in here who are kind of like, well, do you believe the water saves you? Absolutely not. Here's what we believe. We believe that, that Jesus saves you. We believe that e Ephesians 2 uh, is by grace we have been saved through faith in Christ. It's putting your trust in Jesus. There is no other way to heaven except through him. Look, if you don't believe in Jesus, if, if you were like, and maybe this is you, maybe you, you were like watching everybody else get baptized at Restore that first year, and you're like, I want to do it too, but you didn't believe in Christ, you didn't believe uh, in the resurrection, you weren't really in love with God, well, then you know what? It's just getting wet because the water doesn't do anything. We know that. We've done baptisms everywhere in the ocean, the Red Roof Inn and the swimming pool. Uh, we, we, one time we were doing baptism and uh, the oceans just, the ocean just knocked us over. It was the most radical baptism. Y'all remember that? That was crazy. I felt like an idiot, but it was awesome. Look, for real, we were doing a baptism and the waves were crazy that day. So we were like trying to time it perfectly. We did not. And the waves like, boom, we both like tumbled and then we came up like, that was awesome. <laughs> Hurt a little bit, but but we still read, even though the water doesn't save you, we still read that in the first church, and if you read through the book of Acts, that baptism has much more significance than an outward expression of an inward faith. It's not water that saves us, it's the blood of Jesus, but man, baptism really meant a whole lot to the first church. So with that out of the way, let's, let's talk about what baptism is and what it means, because I know that when I ask what's stopping you, some of you just honestly say this, I don't know enough. I don't have all the answers. So let me give you a, a couple answers, not all of them. When, we'll never know all the answers, but um, maybe you fall in this category. You are a kid, and uh, you pray to prayer. And as a kid, you said, or now you're saying, I really don't understand what I was praying. As a child, I was baptized, but I didn't know what I was doing. Or, or I was sprinkled as a baby, but it wasn't my decision, um, so I really don't know what it means. So the first thing that we need to know about baptism is this. Baptism is a personal commitment. It's a personal commitment. It's a decision that you make. No one else can make it for you, not your parents, not your family, not your spouse, Baptism, you can see it as this way, a wedding ceremony of our faith. We're going to talk about it a little bit more like that. It's like saying I'm committed as a follower of Jesus. I'm, ad I'm identifying myself as a Christian. It is a personal decision that I am making. Now, ladies, imagine this. 
when you're born, your parents, uh, they know this kid up the street who's a few years older, great family, and they decide for you that that's who you're going to marry. That's going to be your husband. Sounds like a country song. <laughs> they make a commitment for you. And at first, as you learn about this, this like as a middle schooler or something, uh, you're a little skeptical and maybe a little bit annoyed because it seems a little pre presumptuous your parents would make this decision for you. But later, you're like 16, 17, he's looking good, star of the football team, you know, he's kind of strutting his stuff. And you start to like him. You guys start to date a little bit, and then you begin to love this guy. You want to marry him. Now, what happens when you make that decision for yourself? Does it take away the decision your parents made for you? No, it doesn't. But man, it affirms it. So listen, I'm not saying anything negative about your parents' decision for you. They had you baptized as a baby or sprinkled. But no, as you grow later in life and you start to love Jesus with everything you've got, it affirms what your parents we're trying to instill in you as a young age. But nevertheless, every time someone makes a decision in the Bible, it's their own personal decision. This is the reason that we do not baptize babies. It's because, or, or, or little, little, little children, just because parents want them to. Listen, if that's, if that's what you want to do because you want to raise them in the Lord, maybe you'll want to participate in our fall uh, children's dedication but it needs to be the individual decision. Here's the second thing you should know about baptism. Baptism, is a, check this out, is a participation in the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So when we're baptized, we, we have this image, this picture of identifying with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. So when we go under the water, it's, it's a grave. Like it, it's, it's death. We go under. The old life is dead. The old Roger has been crucified. And then when we come up out of the water, it represents a new life in Christ. And some of you in here this morning absolutely need that. You want the old you to be crucified and dead and gone and need to be raised to a new life. But more importantly, it unites us with Jesus and we surrender control. We say, I'm dying to me, I'm living for him. Now, I'm going uh, to Greek out on you a little bit. Geek out with Greek. Okay, forget it, you didn't laugh. Um, it, this is one of the reasons that we, we do baptism by complete immersion all the way under the water. We do it because of the image that it has with Christ, but we also do it because the New Testament, although it doesn't say you have to go all the way under the water, it kind of does. The Greek word for, uh, so maybe you've been sprinkled as a child and you're like, hey, do I need to get baptized? Uh, I'm going to say yes, okay, and I'm going to show you why. The Greek word for, for baptism is baptizo. Everybody say baptizo. Mm, don't be too excited about it. The word baptizo means to dip, to plunge beneath, or immerse. Now there's some confusion because when you translate from one language to another, usually there's an equivalent. Um, but from Greek to English, there was no, we did not have a word 
that meant what it meant to the New Testament, this, uh, this ceremonial immersion. And so they were like, the best thing for us to do is what they call transliterate and take baptizo and turn it into baptism. And so that's where we get our word. Uh, they, they knew the significance of what was happening in the book of Acts. So basically translators created their own word. If it were to be translated now, it would be translated dip, plunge, or go beneath. And so John the Baptist would be John the dipper <laughs> or John the, the plunger or the, the drowner maybe. I don't know. But that's, that's the idea. The Greek, how would you like that to be your name? You're just walking through and like, hey, there's Tim the Dipper. The Greek word for sprinkle, check this out. The Greek word for sprinkle is herontizo. Herontizo. Ready? You guys say it with me. One, two, three. Herontizo. You guys are Greek experts. And you know what happens? This word is nowhere found in the New Testament. And so if we as a church are going to try to do it the way that the church did it, the way the first church did it, who were closest to Christ, then we've got to do it the way that they did it. Now, uh, years ago, the Catholic Church started to sprinkle as a way of convenience and as a way of immediacy, and so we can't really blame them for trying to do that. But if we're going to be as faithful to the New Testament as we can, we do full water immersion. And that's why believers' baptism by immersion as the initial response to repentance is our practice at Restore. But look, baptism is more than semantics. It's more than just definitions of, there's some real significance involved in what's happening when a person is baptized. They're identifying themselves with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so here's a third observation for you. Our baptism should fill us with confidence in who we are in Jesus. Many of you are married, right? And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, it would shoot straight up. And then I would say, hey, how many of you are not married? You would raise your hand. And then I would say, how many of you are not sure? And then you'd look at me like, what do you mean not sure? Of course I'm sure, whether I'm single or, or married. Uh, husband's not a good time for a joke. You're welcome. Um. But if I were to ask you how many of you are confident that you are in Christ, that your sins have been forgiven, how many of you, if today was your last day to live, or if Jesus were to return right now, how many of you are 100% sure that you would be with Christ? I think a lot of us would hesitate to lift our hands for that. I mean, why are we so sure that we're married to our spouse or not? Like, you, you better be sure. If you're not sure, figure it out. Spend the rest of the day. Okay. But, uh, but we're unsure about Christ. Here's why. It's because there was a time, there was a moment, there was a significant event in which you said, this, I, I am married. I remember what it was like. I first dated Aaron. I met her first day of college. Our parents dropped her off, and I saw her, and I was like, whoa. Same response Adam had. It's the beard. Uh, it's the same response Adam had when he saw Eve. You know what I mean? It was like that. And I was like, man, I, I want to know her. I, I, I want to get to know her. And I wanted her to like me. I couldn't get off of, uh, off of, my, off of my mind. I remember our first kiss right by the Cincinnati River. 
uh, or by the Ohio River in Cincinnati. I, I loved her, but we weren't married yet. I remember talking about our future. I remember um, uh, talking about, like, I want to be a preacher. And she's like, you know what? We we're sitting in a van in the parking lot. And I said, I want to be a preacher. And she's like, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And I was like, yeah, right. And when you know it, I'm a preacher, and she stays at home. She's a stay-at-home mom, and she's killing it. Um, I, I was on the phone with a guy the other day, and it was one of those 800 things. You're talking to someone, and he's like, um, do you work? And I was like, yeah. He's like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a pastor. And he's like, does your wife work? And I was like, I, I was like, she stays at home. He's like, so she doesn't work? And I was like, correction, sir. She does work inside the home. And all of the mama said, yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. I remember sitting, polishing jewelry and eating Chinese food with my heart racing because I was about to propose to her. I loved her and I knew I wanted to marry her, but, and we were engaged once we were engaged, but we weren't married yet. But on, on August 8th, 2019, in Sandbridge Beach, we stood before God, our family, our friends, my grandfather performed the ceremony, we kissed. Can't tell you what happened later, you know what I'm saying? But, and I can't tell you at what point we, we became married that day, we can argue about that, but uh, it was that day that I can point back to and say, man, I'm, I'm married. I was married to her. And baptism is a lot like that. It takes the guesswork out of our commitment, and it should give you a whole lot of confidence in your relationship with Jesus. There is no more doubt. It's like a stake in the ground to say that is when it happened. I, I belong to Jesus. It should be a stake in the ground that says not only who you are, but whose you are. You belong to Christ. So the last thing I'll say about baptism is this. It's an act of obedience. And really, that's all we need to say as Christ followers is that it's an act of obedience. Uh, and you're probably saying, man, this sermon could have been a lot shorter if that's all we had to say. And you're right. But this is what it comes down to. Baptism is a simple act of obedience. If God asks us to do it, then you know what? Th that's what we do. And the challenge is that we've turned it into some tradition, some religious ritual instead of a command of Christ. Remember Matthew chapter uh, 18, he says to his disciples, um, it, it says this in Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, basically, because I have this authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Did you see what's included in his teaching and creating and making of disciples? It's baptism. Now, look, I, I talk to a lot of Christians, and they'll say to me, look, I've been a Christian for years and years and years. Do I really need to get baptized? And I think the best response to that is, if you want to obey God, you will. If you want to obey God, yes, you will. It comes down to an issue of authority. Who has authority in the decision-making over your spiritual life? Is it you or is it the Lord? And God, God, I want to do what you tell me, even if it's not what I want. And I know for some of you, this, it's tough. Because you put your faith in Christ perhaps, I don't know, 20 years ago, and now you're being asked to do something different. And it's, it's humbling. But so is a wedding ceremony. And remember, baptism is similar to that. It's like when a couple meets uh, to talk about getting married, and the woman is so pumped up, but the guy's clearly not into it. And just imagine this. They're sitting there, and he's kicked back in his chair, and he just finally says, do we have to get married? 
Well, no, I guess you don't have to get married. If, if you don't love her and you don't want to stand in front of people and make a commitment, then no, I guess, I guess you don't have to get married. Well, it's just tuxedos and it's so uncomfortable and I don't like being in front of people. And the ceremony is going to be expensive and I think it's going to be embarrassing to say these things to my girlfriend in front of other people. You see how kind of crazy that sounds? And if you're asking those things, those questions about marriage, and if dudes, if someone's in here saying those things about marriage, you're missing the point. I mean, clearly, that husband would be missing the point. And I think some of us are saying the same about baptism. I just don't want to do it in front of people. I don't, I don't know the answers. I, I, I don't want to. I just don't. I, I don't want to have to. Look, if it's embarrassing or a little messy or you're a little bit uneasy, uh, just think about these things. Jesus was stripped naked and has been beaten beyond recognition for you. You too embarrassed to identify with him in baptism? He carried a cross on a lacerated back and he walked down a road called the Via De La Rosa. As people mocked him and ridiculed him, we're asking you to get into a pool and be dunked. A crown of thorns was pressed into his skull. Is being baptized too uncomfortable for you? Nails were driven through his hands and his feet and the punishment that you and I deserve he took on himself so that we could be forgiven and we could live in eternity with God in heaven. So I'm sorry, but uncomfortability is not an excuse for not being baptized into Christ. So look, I, I know some of you are, are, I know what you're thinking. You know, that, that's good and, and fine, but I made a decision. And when I got older, does, does God really care about baptism? I don't know. It was just in Jesus' last command. Scripture said that's how you identify with Christ. It gives you the confidence to know that you are in him, that if Christ returns right now, you would be with Jesus. I say let's do this as closely as we can, the way the Bible teaches it, to be obedient so that uh, we can live as close to the New Testament church as we can. And I want to finish up with one last story. It's a story that my friend tells about his wife. Uh, her name is Exie. He says this, when his wife, Exie, was 13 and her sister was 14, they'd been living in various places with their birth mother. The birth mother had been addicted to drugs and alcohol and dabbled in prostitution, sometimes leaving the daughters to find, uh, sometimes leaving the daughters to find her passed out on the streets. They would do the best that they could to cover up their mom's tracks. They would try to carry her home. They would lie to social services. Uh, they would do whatever it took to survive. Sometimes Exie and her sister would live in a trailer, other times in a tool shed, sometimes in a car. Eventually, a, a country preacher in a small church took Exie and her sister with them to church, and they showed them kindness. And eventually, Exie wanted to know uh, about, like, why, why do you have so much joy? Why do you have so much kindness? Why are you caring for us? She wanted to know how these people were so different from the adults that she had run into for her whole life. And the preacher and his wife, they shared their, their whole life with them. They shared their faith in Jesus with Exie and her sister. The time came when they were ready to put their trust in Jesus and they were ready, uh, they were ready to be baptized. And the, the preacher was excited. The whole church was excited. And they went home to ask their mom. And you know what their mom said? No. You cannot. 
Weeks went by, but the conviction in their hearts, they didn't waver. And one night, in spite of the threats from their mother, Exie and her sister asked the pastor, will you please baptize us into Christ? After their baptism, they changed their clothes before going home so, as their, mo- so their mother wouldn't ask any questions, but their hair was still wet. And, and so when they came in the door, Exie's mother looked at Exie and said, why is your hair wet? They stood with a choice. We can lie to our mom as our first act of living in Christ. But they decided to tell the truth. And the girls admitted to their mom that they were being baptized. And moms, man, I, I can't wait for the day that my kids come out, of the, come out of that water. And I know some of you moms are excited too. And some of you expectant moms are excited for that too. This mother replied like this. Well, if that preacher can baptize you without buying permission, let him raise you. She made the girls pack whatever clothes they had and put them in a black trash bag. They had the preacher come pick them up and take the girls home. A few days later, Exie and her sister, they moved into a Christian's home here in eastern North Carolina where they remained there until they graduated high school. Eventually going to college, she met her husband, Marty, uh, who's becoming a good friend and mentor in ministry to me. What's stopping you from being baptized? And I'm I'm sorry, and you're going to have to forgive me if I don't apologize for the inconvenience of baptism when you ask me, do I have to get baptized? It's not a have to get baptized, y'all. It's a get to be baptized. I get to identify with Christ in his death, his burial, and resurrection, and I will be in eternity with Christ forever. The question is, what's stopping you? I would challenge you today to take action, right now to take action. If there's conviction in your heart, don't let procrastination sit in, but match your conviction with your action. In your bulletin, there is a section in the, uh, on the Take 5 card. It's an insert. And if that's you, if you're ready to make a decision for Christ, if you're ready to be baptized for the first time or, or baptized again, if you want to have that conversation, uh, would you write your name on that card and put it in a, in a, white, in a white box as you leave? Or, or maybe it's so urgent, just like the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, where you're like, man, I got to do it right now. What's stopping me from right now? Well, a second service, one. But uh, why don't you hang out, and, and we'll talk right after this service. Um, Man, let's, let's read one scripture together. Uh, and we'll make this last scripture our prayer. It's, it's Romans chapter 6. Um, and we're going we're gonna to read this together, and this will be our prayer. Uh, maybe we won't? All right. It's my fault. Uh, hey, here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace can increase and grow larger? By no means. Y- y'all want to know something? Uh, my favorite theologian, he says that this is so emphatic that it would be Paul like saying, what shall we say then? And getting angry. Can we keep on sinning so that grace can just keep growing? Hell No. Like, that's how passionate and excited he is about this. Absolutely not. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Like, he just can't understand how we would separate ourselves. Or, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Amen and thank you, Lord.